Colossians chapter 4, verse 5. Now, every day, God gives us 24 hours a day, or 1,440 minutes, or 86 seconds. 86,000 seconds, I should say. Right? That's my conversion. Hopefully it's right. That's 24 hours, 1,440 minutes, or 86,000 seconds. And every one of those seconds are a precious gift from God. Now, someone with a lot of time has calculated how a typical person spends 70 years of his life in the Western world. So sleep, if you have 70 years of your life, you would have spent 23 years on sleep, 16 years on work, 8 years on television. Apparently we spend six years just eating, right? Six years on travel, uh, four and a half years on leisure, four years on illness. We spend two years dressing and only zero, well, only six months really of our 70 years on religious activity. That's 0.7%. Now, I don't know how accurate these figures are, right? But the figures, when you go through them, they're quite sobering, aren't they? And they underscore the need for us to use our time properly in our lives. Thomas Brooks says, Time is not ours to dispose of as we please. It is a glorious talent for which we will be held accountable for, like other talents. Ralph Sockman says, time is a deposit each one has in the bank of God and no one knows the balance. So we need to use time properly. Now this evening I want to speak to you about using our time well. And we are looking at this important topic uh, because we are in Colossians chapter 4 and looking at verse 5 which says this, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. And we are particularly focusing on that second command, making the best use of the time. The main truth that second command is teaching us is quite straightforward, actually. It is this, all followers of Christ are meant to use their time well. Or in the context of the verse, we are meant to use our time wisely. The second command which says making the best use of the time comes within the context of living among people who don't share our faith in Christ. Something we talked about this morning. We live among people who need to, to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, whom we need to stay visible towards, who we need to point to the light that is found, the light that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if we are going to do that effectively... We need to ensure that we're using all of our time well, not just part of our time. And hence the need that follows the, uh, that first command, walking wisdom towards outsiders, and then naturally would say, or supernaturally, Paul then goes on to say, making the best use of the time. Now this evening, I want us to learn two truths that the second command there in verse 5 is teaching us about why we need to use our time properly 
and how we should use our time. The first truth is this, and it's quite straightforward really. God cares about how we use our time. That's the first thing we have to understand. That's the first thing this verse is communicating. God cares about how we use our time. The Apostle Paul has not written this command concerning the use of time out of his own volition. You know, he hasn't sort of gotten up and said, I must write about time. Rather, it is God speaking through the Apostle Paul and he is saying, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making best use of the time. God cares about how we use our time because God owns our time. Our life is a gift from God. And time is the vehicle God uses to deliver life to us, we might say. It is God who has given us the good gift of time. James 1 verse 17 says this, doesn't it? Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Beloved, we must never forget that we are not necessary. You and I are not necessary in this world. What I mean by that is that you and I do not deserve to exist. God could have created this world without any person who sat here this evening. In fact, even after we are gone, the world will continue if the Lord Jesus tarries. The fact that you and I are alive this evening, indeed alive at all, is purely an act of God's grace. In fact, the whole world is not necessary. God existed in eternity without us. We read from Psalm 90, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You see, life is a precious gift from God because it is not necessary. Every second of life is precious because it comes as a, as a gift of grace. God created us and he clothed us in time as an act of grace. You know, if someone credited your account 86,000 pounds every day, how would you treat them? <laughs> just every day they give you 86 grand, just like that. You're like, cost of living crisis, I can do with that. Every day, right? I, I think you would worship that person for the rest of your life. You would adore them. It's just so wonderful, isn't it, to give you 86 grand every day. But beloved, God gives you something more valuable than 86,000 pounds per day. He gives you life, precious life, in this world, wrapped in 86,000 seconds a day. Christ, our God, deserves our adoration. He deserves your adoration. Uh, he, not, he not only created you in time, He's the one who sustains you in time. He's the one holding your life at this very moment together. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 to 17 makes that point, doesn't it? In chapter 1, Paul has already made this point concerning time. By him, that is Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, including time, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things are together. 
When we look at that verse, we said Christ is the ultimate timeless Lord. He was there before time and he'll be there after time. And he owes everything in the entire universe. Christ is, a, as we said, is the laminin of the universe. He owes everything. Just as laminin owes the entire cells in the body, Christ owes the entire universe together. And as a follower of Christ, you know Christ owns you in two senses. Christ owns you not only because he's your creator, but he also owns you because he's your Lord and Savior in Christ. He holds you in the first, if we might like, in the first world sense. And he owns you in a spiritual world sense. He's both your creator and your father. And this verse is, is, is reminding you that all your time belongs to him. It is not yours at all. You are simply a steward. You and I are simply a steward. God in Christ owns our life and our time in this world. And because God, our triune God, is the owner of everything you have in life, one day you must give account of all your resources, including your time before God. You will one day give an account of how you spent every single second in this world. Romans 14, verse 12, reminds us of that truth, doesn't it? You see, God has given each one a limited time on this earth, right? In fact, we might think of, um, we might think of life, our life in this world, like um, a dashboard at the railway station, right? The trains at the railway station, they are coming and going, aren't they? And all of us are like those trains. We have an arrival time in this world, and a departure time, a time when we will depart to meet God. And it's all on this God's timetable, you see. We do not know how long the distance will be time-wise between arrival and departure. You don't know how long you are, you'll be in this world, but you know it's not infinite. When the train comes, at some point it must leave. Same thing with your life. You've come into this world, at some point you must exit. Whether you're thinking about that or not, it's a fact of life. Our time in this world, your time in this world, will come to an end. And when it ends, God will judge you, not only for the other talents you've used, but also how you've used his time. Every second of it. He will call you before himself to give an account. He will ask you, why did you spend it on that? Why did you use the time on this issue? You must give an account. You know, we are used to the idea of God judging our words, and we'll talk about that next week. Or oh, our God will judge us for our talent. We are familiar with the parables which speak to this issue. But I wonder how many of us, serious, when the last time you thought about that God will judge you for the gift of not just your money, but the gift of time that he's given you. Not many of us think about that, isn't it? The idea of God caring about how I use my time is not at the forefront of my mind because it's not something tangible. It is in the background, you see, time is. And this is why we need the reminder this evening. The reminder this evening that God is commanding us through Paul to reflect on, which is God cares about how we use our time. Do you care how you use your time? You should. Because God will owe you to account for it. That's the first thing. God cares about how we use our time. The second point, 
And I've only got two points this evening. And we'll spend a little bit more time on this, which is this. God commands us to use our time properly. God commands us to use our time properly. And that is directly lifted from the command by God through the Apostle Paul in verse 5. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. And here's a command, making the best use of the time. Now, I don't know if you've got another version. If you've got the New King James Version, the American Standard, that's great at this point. That's really good. Right? Because the ESV here is sadly not only simply translating for us, but it is also interpreting for us, which is not helpful. We just want a translation. The phrase making best use is actually one word in the original language. And the word simply means redeem. Believe it or not, it simply means redeem. It is the same word Paul uses in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. When Paul says this, Christ redeemed us, same word. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Same word there. So the KJV and the New American Standard versions, other slightly other versions, are right to translate this verse as simply redeeming the time. Redeeming the kairos as we'll come and see in a moment. It seems the ESV translators and other modern translators thought we won't know what redeem means in this context. And so what they've done is they've tried to make life simpler for us by interpreting the verse for us. But sadly, by doing that, the translators obscure three crucial points as we think about redeeming the time. The three crucial points that God wants us to understand on how to use time, there are these. First of all, The word redeem, which is in the original there, is teaching us that our time in this world is precious. That doesn't come obviously, as we say, making best use of the time. It doesn't quite capture. But when we say redeeming the time, we're beginning to understand. Our time in this world is precious. Because to redeem means to buy up. We buy up something that is valuable to us in some way. It may be valuable because it has some value to us, And it is also in short supply, right? So the air we breathe on earth has value to us. But it is not in short supply, so no one is going around redeeming the air. Of course, you might say they are cleaning the air and all that. But in a real sense, you and I are not redeeming, we just breathe it, right? We don't go around trying to redeem or pay money for the air we breathe. We just get up and start breathing it. But if you're on the space station, there's redemption there. Because no, the air there is very precious. You need the right amount of air there, right? So suddenly something that we don't worry about, that's not valuable on earth, is very valuable somewhere else. Because not only is it finite, it is also of much needed uh, use. Secondly, the, the word redeem. So the word redeem is, is that time is precious. Secondly, the word redeem is teaching us that using the, our time as God wants us to use it is going to cost us. There will be a sacrifice to us in some way. Redemption is paying a price. To redeem means to free a person by paying a price or sacrifice for them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by paying the price for our sins. Now, redeeming time in this context means recovering wasted time or avoiding wasted time by paying a price or paying a sacrifice for them. We cannot 
We cannot properly use our finite time that God has given us without sacrificing or paying a price in some way. And the price and sacrifice, of course, is, not, is easy for us to understand. It is a self-discipline. It's a self-denial that's required for us to use time as God wants us to use. Finally, so Redeem talks about the fact that it's precious, as I've just said. But redeem also is used here, notice with conjunction with the word time. Don't miss that. Redeeming the time, as the order version says. Now, Paul is writing this letter in New Testament Greek. And this is so important when it comes to the word time, because in New Testament Greek, there are two words for time. What are the two words? Well, the first word is chronos, which simply means the normal passage of time. And then there is the other word, kairos, which means seasons or the appointed time. Question, what word do you think Paul has used here when he says redeeming the time? You might think actually that Paul has in mind chronos because there's a lot of time and we need to make sure we use it properly, the passage of time itself. But no, Paul hasn't used that word. The word for time Paul has used here is kairos, the appointed time. The season, the moment. And that's important. Because if we take that into account, I think what Paul is saying to us is here is simply this. Not every moment of time is the same. Not every moment of time is the same. Some moments of our time are uniquely appointed by God and we must sacrifice everything to use those seasons or kairos moments properly. Paul is saying to us, spend the time that God has appointed for you well. Use it on the priorities that God has given for you to use. Don't misuse it. Don't think the way you arrange your week is up to you. God has specific concerns, commands on how the time must be used throughout your life. And your challenge is to ensure that you are using it according to his purposes. Don't misuse it. God has ordained specific ways you're meant to use your time in your life. Don't misallocate the time. Do not squander even that time he has given you. In other words, what he's saying, using time well from God's vantage point, beloved, and this is important, using time well from God's vantage point is not simply about reducing the wastage of our time. It is also about doing what God wants with our time. Now, when we have the word redeem, what Paul is saying to us in verse 5. What is he saying to us in verse 5? So we go kairos and we go redeem, right? So what is Paul now saying to us? What he's saying to us, you must sacrifice everything to use time in the way God wants you to use it. That's essentially what he means, what the ESV has translated, making the best use of time. Paul is saying, you must sacrifice everything. You must be willing to pay the price to ensure that you are using the time God has appointed to you in your life in a proper and fitting way. I really couldn't think of a better way to describe it than that. It's, it's going to be a proper use of time. Efficient, we might even say, use of time. But it's also going to be a fitting use of time. Use the time the way God, if it was Christ was in your shoe, would arrange your life. That this command from God to use time in a proper way goes, it goes against 
what many of us do that with the time that God has given us. Because we do two things with the time God has given us. Many of us waste time. We let time slip through our hands without using it on the things that God wants us to use it on. We waste time in so many ways, don't we? We waste time by being lazy. We waste time by going about our business too slowly, too half-heartedly. We waste time by being disorganized. There are many ways we waste time. Through indiscipline. There are so many ways we waste time. But we don't just waste time, beloved. We also misallocate time. And that's one of the biggest issues really poor with this Kairos word he's trying to get at. We do not use our time where God wants us to use it and at the time God wants us to use it. We don't spend it on God's priority. We spend it on our priorities and in our own way. For example, God has blessed you with a job, right? And he expects you to fulfill your responsibility to your employer during your contracted time. And Brother Ola, when he needs sermon, spoke about this, gave this example. You did, but didn't you? People still, instead of doing the work, they start using the time for something else. You are meant to be working. What do you do? You you take a long lunch break? (laughs) Or you use it on TikTok? Right? You are misallocating time before God because before God, you are contracted to do the work. When you don't do that, you are abusing that relationship. Your employer doesn't know, but God knows. And on that great day, you give an account. That's misallocating time. Another example is simply this, that God has commanded us to care for our families. Now, to do that, we need to set boundaries for our work. Beloved, we can't work 24-7. And there are times of, in our lives where our children need us to be there. That's a responsibility from God. So we need to be, think about this carefully. Sadly, what happens is that not only is it that some of us switch off, rather the opposite, never switch off with working from home, right? With the arrival working from home, many of us are just robbing our families of time continuously. But also, even if we're not doing that, we're just not there. We're not, the, the time we're spending with children, we're so tired that we cannot be of meaningful use to them. We are robbing our children time. And that again is a misallocation of time from God's vantage point. This command in verse 5, which says making the best use of time, is reminding us that God owns our time. And God is saying to us through the Apostle Paul, make proper and fitting use of time. Don't waste it. Don't misallocate it. Use it as if Christ, if he was in your shoe, would use it. Now, this raises an important point, doesn't it? How do we make proper use of our time? How do we do this in practice? And this is a crunch now. How do we do this? What does this look like? How can I know, Chola, that I'm making proper use of my time? Well, Paul doesn't tell us in this verse. And that is because he has already laid out life principles in Colossians that can help us. And what I want to do is that, as I thought about that question, I thought, let me give you five Man, time management principles based on Colossians. Five. I encourage you to write these down. Because they are steeped in Colossians, I believe. First, have a clear mission statement. To live for the glory of Christ 
and Christ alone. How are you and I going to manage our time properly in the way that honors God? How are we going to make proper and fitting use of time? Well, it starts by having a clear mission statement. There I say, not just a mission statement for you yourself, for you and your family. Maybe you need to sit down as a family to say, the way we use our time as a family, this is our mission statement. Our mission statement is to use our time for the glory of Christ and Christ alone. Beloved, what is shaping how you're spending time in your life? How, how do you decide whether to spend time on TikTok? I always seem to be having a go at TikTok, don't I? <laughs> or calling a sister in the church to comfort them. How do you decide that? It just happens. Well, we're coming to that, right? But assuming you're, you're making some decision, that's what I'm trying to say to you. There is a principle that is driving how you're making these choices. And the driving principle for how you're making those choices is based on what you think success in life is. That's what's driving that. Now, as a believer, success in life has already been defined for you in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Whatever you do, including the use of time, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. If you could summarize Colossians about what Colossians is asking us to do, it's right there. This should be the mission statement of everyone when it comes to using time. Whatever you do, whatever time, however you're using time, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's focus on honoring Christ and giving glory to Christ with how you use uh, your time. Resolve today to use time, not driven by the impulses of the flesh or the world around you, but to use it to honor Christ as Lord over your time. That's principle number one. A clear mission statement. The second principle is this. If you're going to use your time fitting and proper, prioritize spending time on eternal priorities rather than on the priorities of this world. In other words, invest your time in things that last. You and I need to remember that we cannot kill time without injuring our own eternity. What we weave in time, we are going to wear in eternity. So we need to make decisions uh, about prioritizing and focusing on what will be of great profit to us in eternity, where God would say to us, welcome good and faithful servant, good user of my time. That's what we want to focus on. And this is what Paul encourages us, doesn't he? In, in, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 to 4, which we looked at. Colossians 3, verse 1 to 4, which you can just see there on top. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, even with your time, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The Apostle Paul is encouraging us to invest our life, including our time, on eternal things. You know, many pastors, <clears throat> you read books, isn't it? And you, you hear about, you talk to pastors. Right, And if you do that, what you discover is that many pastors have stood by the deathbeds of many people. Many people. 
We have listened to people look back over their lives and even whisper some final regrets that as a pastor you can't share with anyone. And when you speak to these pastors, not a single pastor has ever reported the person saying, I only wish I had worked more overtime. I only wish I had missed a few more Sunday evening services. If only I had done that, and then I, then I would have become the best teacher or the best CEO this nation has ever had. We don't hear that at deathbeds. We don't hear that. What the pastors report is that people lament. They say, I wish I had spent more time with my children. They mentioned that. I wish I had given myself more wholeheartedly to my wife. They say that. They say, I wish I had reconciled with that person before I am about to die. They say that. They say, I wish I did not waste so much time on things that would not profit me when I meet, now that I'm about to meet my Savior. I wish I had invested, many of them say, more in living for Christ. I wish I had spent more time studying about heaven rather than wasting time studying about this world, some have said. Think about that. Think about that. It is possible to be efficient with your time, but waste it. So make sure your time, you are spending your time on that which will matter when death knocks for you. Richard Baxter, the Puritan, says, Spend your time in nothing which you know must be repented of. In nothing on which you might not pray for the blessing of God. In nothing which you could not review with a quiet conscience on your dying bed. In nothing which you might not safely and properly be found doing if death should surprise you in the act. And Paul is saying the same thing from a different angle. He's saying we must focus our minds on things above. We must spend our time on eternal things. Let those things dominate your schedule. What are the eternal things Paul talks about in chapter 3, verse 1 to 2? Well, when we looked at those verses, we said the things that are above are the things Paul talks about uh, that follows from verse 12 to Chapter 4, verse 6. And we don't need to go through all of that. I just commend that to you. You see, this is important, you see, because many of us start each day on a treadmill of meaningless routines. We just repeat the last day we had. And then go to bed. Then wake up again. And we do it all over again. Many people are not serious about where how they are spending their time. They are not evaluating what they are spending their time. There is no deliberate focus on prioritizing to spending time on eternal things. You have a look back over the past week. Just look back over the past month. Look back over the past year already. You have nearly finished half of 2023. You never leave it again. Where has the time gone? 
where have you been spending most of your time this past half year? Have you really been focusing it on growing to be more like Christ? Have you been spending it investing in people? Teaching your husband and reminding him the gospel of Christ and the husband teaching the wife as it were? Spending time with your children, sharing the gospel with them and helping them to navigate with full consciousness as it were in the difficult culture Have you been spending it walking wisely at work, being a light shining in that dark place? Or have you been spending it hiding from others? Have you been spending it encouraging other followers of Christ? Have you been spending it asking the Lord, how can I grow in meekness, in patience, in kindness? How can I grow in forgiveness? Can you say you spend time looking into these issues and that's your prime focus? Eternal things. Have you been spending time investing in the life of the church? These are eternal priorities that must be woven into the fabric of your life. Beloved, life is too short for us to do everything we want to do. But it is long enough for us to do everything God wants us to do. No one should ever say, I have not got enough time. As my wife often tells me, Chola, you've got enough time to do exactly what God wants you to do. If only you would listen. Life is too short for us to do everything we want to do. But it is long enough for us to do everything God wants us to do. If only we would focus on what God wants us to do. You see, every opportunity looks important, doesn't it? At the moment, the opportunity presents itself. But you see, having an eternal perspective helps us sort out what matters most. And it is only by living with our eternal future with Christ in mind that we can properly distinguish between the trivial and the truly important. When when you're deciding how to spend all of the Lord's day, what questions should you ask yourself? The question you should ask yourself is this. What is going to matter when I stand before the judgment seat of Christ. When I must give an account for the Lord's day and how I spend it. I believe if you did that, well, if everybody in this fellowship did that, this church would be full. You would never miss an evening service. Because what excuse is God going to accept to keep you from the gathering of the saints on the day of rest? Well, none. Third principle. The third principle then. What did we say? Principle number one was, first principle, prioritize as it were. Have a clear mission statement, isn't it? That's the first principle. The second principle is prioritize spending time on eternal priorities. The third principle is this. Be balanced, and this is important, be balanced in the responsibilities God has given you. Be careful that you fulfill all the responsibilities God has given you. Now, I haven't made this up. I've taken this principle from reading chapter 3 and chapter 4. 
Because as I read those chapters, I realized that God through Paul is giving... I feel overwhelmed when I read that chapter, I have to say. Because I realize I'm a dad, I'm a husband, and to a degree I'm a son, right? But that's not an issue, that's not, not in context. So, but at least I've got those two things. And of course I've got work everywhere in different ways. And of course are, I do things in the church and there are commands there relating to the church, right? I feel overwhelmed, I'm sure you feel overwhelmed when you read chapter 3. But here's the point, right? The point is, God wants us to do, to fulfill all of those responsibilities. And to do them, not at the cost of the other. That's the point I'm making. And Paul has listed them because we must do all of them. Chapter 3 and 4. The good use of time in one area should not come at the expense of neglecting other responsibilities. You being a mom should not lead to you neglecting the responsibility to your husband. You being a dad should not neglect the responsibility God has given you if God has called you to do his work in other areas at your place of work or something like that. You must fulfill all these responsibilities. But you must do it in a balanced way. That's the point. Because that's what it means. What is the balance use of responsibility? Well, it's to ensure that you're doing all of them, as God would have you do them. Good uses of our time can lead to dangerous outcomes if we are not balancing our use of time. I hope you heard that. Who has never heard of husbands or wives who have lost their marriages because they spent all their time at the office neglecting the home? Who has never heard that? We have all heard that. Who does not know of pastors, elders, who have lost their families, particularly their children, because they invested all they had in the church and they had no energy for their children? We've all heard that. Who has never heard of pastoral scandals? We've all heard that. Why? Those come from serious imbalance in their life. You know, it's so tragic when you hear that. Because you recognize that it's in the course of the man giving himself 100% to the work of God often that he misses to take care of other responsibilities. Who does not know people who have lost their health because they gave all their time to ministering to others and then just bent out? Bent out is a serious thing, not just in church, but in places of work. Using our time properly, beloved, means using it in a balanced way. And Paul has flagged this up in chapter 3, difference between, because he wants us to keep an eye on all of this and to be balanced about it. Now, I'm not saying we should not give our time to the Lord. I hope you're not hearing me say, should I say, no, that means, well, I just can't give 100% to the church. That's not what I'm saying. We should. That's principle number one in terms of serving Christ. But don't equate serving Christ to say to serving the church, 100% to the church. That's the point I'm trying to make. I'm saying we should serve Christ with principle one and two and three in mind. We must do it in a way that is clear and reflected in the balance of honoring all things to Christ. I'm not saying do less. I'm actually saying do more, but do more in a way that truly glorifies him by ensuring that you are balanced in your responsibilities. When we engage all our time in one thing, we injure ourselves. That's what I'm saying. We must allocate our time in such a way that we're truly caring for all the things God has entrusted to our care. Our health, our family, our ministries. 
Now, sadly, beloved, sadly, balance is more easily preached than practiced. I can honestly say that this is something I struggle with. And I've been much convicted this week as I've been looking at and praying through this issue. And I'm thankful that God is warning me of the need for balance before it is too late. And I just wonder if there is someone in here that God is saying the same thing before it is too late. We need to take this seriously. Fourth principle. Page regularly those things that are not worth spending time on. That's the fourth principle. Purge regularly. Remove regularly those things that are not worth spending time on. There are some things we must never waste time on. There are just some things we must never waste time on. Right? All sinful activities are a misallocation of time. If you want to be efficient in the use of time, resolve to put sin to death. It will save you time. In so many ways. Because even as Sib says, if we have a time of sinning, there will be a time of punishment. You don't want a time of punishment. You can save yourself time on that by living your holy life. But it's not just the sinful activities we need to get rid of. We need to purge from our lives all the things that are not wise. That's the context, isn't it? Chapter chapter 4, verse 5. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Making the best use of time. We said living, this morning we said living in wisdom is living a life that is more like Christ. It is spirit-filled wisdom for Christian living. If we're going to live for Christ, we need to be vigilant against the devil making us do things that are just foolish. Things that are not necessarily sinful, but they're just foolish. They are unfruitful. There's no wisdom involved. You know, the parallel passage is Ephesians 5 verse 16. To this passage. There's a lot of parallels between Colossians and Ephesians. And the power passage there is Ephesians 5 verse 16. And it says the reason we should redeem our time is that what? The days are evil. We have a dangerous enemy, Satan. And he's bent on destroying your time on earth. And if he can't destroy it with sinful living, he will devour you with pointless activities. And either way, the end result is what? A wasted life. So be purposeful. You need to regularly review things that are not worth spending time on and getting rid of them. Don't, beloved, let's not say things like, I am just hanging out with friends. We are living in a time in which sin abounds. And you are just hanging out? Really? Hanging out? Now, beloved, this is not the time for us to hang out. This is not a time for us to waste. Hanging out tells me I'm just wasting a bit of time. This is not a time for us to waste our lives in frivolous activities. The time you are killing now has no resurrection, as A.W. Toza said. When you kill time, remember it has no resurrection. So, beloved, uh, listen carefully. Remember that more time is wasted in hours. Is not, rather, more time is, is, is wasted not in hours, but in minutes and seconds. Remember that. A bucket with a small hole in the bottom, right, gets just as empty 
as if it was kicked over. And so if you are leaking seconds, you're still leaking time. There's no difference with kicking that bucket. Kicking the bucket is death, isn't it? They say. I was trying to play around with the illustration there. It didn't land well, probably. But I hope you get, you get what I'm trying to get at, right? The point is, Satan is actively working to devour your life by making you waste seconds. That's what I want to focus, I'm focusing on. And you need to start purposely guarding seconds to use every moment of your life well. We are living in a driven society. Whenever we don't plan time, other people feel it for us. When we don't prioritize our time, we start living under the tyranny of what someone has called the tyranny of the agent. We live busy. We are busy people, aren't we? But we are empty people. We are busy but empty. And we end each day saying to ourselves, what have I really achieved for the Lord today? Little. We have wasted it. The only way, we are forever from this meeting, that meeting, that appointment, that appointment. But what are we accomplishing, beloved? Nothing. The only way for us to accept the tyranny of the agent is to live with the agency of the important. In other words, page from your life all meaningless activities so you are clear on what the Lord wants you to do and pour your life into that. Don't live a reactive life. Focus on what God has called you to do. Things that can only be done by you. Or is calling you to, to do. And things that you can only do in one lifetime. Be a lamp for the Lord. I'm sure there's a biography by that name. The fifth and final principle. Right. What is the fifth and final principle? It's simple. I hope you know what it is. Manage your time with the grace of God in Christ. Manage your time with the grace of God in Christ. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ must be front and center of our minds as we think about managing our time. We must see the command in Colossians 4 verse 5 through the prism of all that the Apostle Paul has been teaching us in Colossians. What he's been saying to us about who Christ is and what our Redeemer, our, our, the great I Am, has done for us in Christ. Because the message of Colossians is that we are new people in Christ. We said this morning, we are the insiders. The world are the outsiders. Our life now, including our time, praise the Lord, is bound up in the Lord Jesus Christ. This means, beloved, there's good news there, isn't there? It means no matter how much we mess up or how much we let God down with how we use our time, if we are true followers of Jesus, our sin does not define us. Our, our identity is that we are new people who have been cleansed by the precious blood of the Lamb, right? Your sin of poor use is in us, it really is, but it is not intrinsically who you are. It does not define you. The Lord Jesus Christ dies. And so when you waste or misallocate time, there's no need to hide or to be defensive about it with yourself. Recognize the pit you've fallen in and cry out to your Redeemer to lift you up from that miry bog. 
Confess your sin. Repent of it. And rest in His unchanging grace. In His forgiving mercy. Redeeming mercy. So there's grace there, beloved. We shouldn't come out of this like sort of beaten down. We should remember there's hope for us in Christ. And we can conf- if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us. At the same time, because you have a new life in Christ... You are never hopeless against the struggle to manage your time properly. That's the point. God the Holy Spirit has given you a new spiritual heart transplant. You have the life of Christ in you. His power is growing to make you more like Him. So as you struggle with managing time well, there is always hope that you will grow in this area. Because you have all the help you need in Christ. But you must go to Christ today. You must cry out to Him. You must only sin. Beloved, if all, if all you do is you, you, you hear the message today and your life just continues as normal, then it won't profit you. <laughs> when I was with the ladies yesterday. We were talking about what is teachability. Teachability is hearing the Word of God taught to us and we change, beloved. We are not teachable if all we do is hearing, hearing, and nothing is changing. Are you going to be teachable tonight? You've heard God, through his word, declare how to manage your time well. Will you repent of how you've wasted his time? How you misallocated his time? Will you go to the fountain that is the Lord Jesus Christ himself and allow Christ to wash you afresh, renew you? Will you repent of your, 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 dare I say, foolish use of time? Because that's no wise living if we waste it. It's the opposite of what Paul is calling us. Well, I pray that this evening we'd examine ourselves clearly and we would ask God to help us in this area and to help us apply these five principles we've learned this evening.